Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Hello and welcome to the next installment of the Power Trends Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lanahan, Vice President of External Affairs and Corporate Communications at the New York ISO. And we're joined again today by Zach Smith, Vice President of Planning. Zach is a frequent guest here and holds the uh, distinct title of most listened to podcast guest uh, for our Power Trends series here. Each time he appears, we receive uh, a great amount of downloads. It's obvious that not only is he an interesting guest with a lot to talk about, but the things and the items and the issues that he's talking about are of great interest today as we move through the transition to a decarbonized grid. Thanks for joining us again today, Zach. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me again, Kevin. I'm sure it's the content more than the voice. (laughs) I think it's both and your expertise to boot. Um, Today, we're going to cover an important topic. You and your group has been working on something that we call the System and Resource Outlook. It's an important document. It's an important report. And let's just dive right in. I think the first question we want to cover today is, from a high level, what is the, the outlook and why did you and your group put this project together? Yeah, thanks. Uh, this is something I'm really proud of, really proud of what our team has done. And uh, it's a first of its kind report, especially for the NISO, where we are looking out 20 years now, uh, really considering all the changes that are happening on the grid uh, today what we project are going to happen in, in the next few years, and especially what's going to happen within 20 years. And that's really difficult to forecast. And uh, so it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort forecasting that future, both in terms of customer demand, but also what that resource mix is going to look like relative to state public policies. And there are you know, uh, ambitious public policies. And really what this report shows is that there is a path forward. In fact, there are many different paths forward to achieve those policies. But there are challenges in the meantime. That's the purpose of the report, is to communicate what are the challenges going forward? What do we need to act on today? What do we need to act on over the next 20 years? And you know, let's all be communicating about what those challenges are and all be working together because uh, NISO is in this together with everyone. So the, the uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which we've talked about on this podcast many times with various different guests aggressive state climate policy. It's changed the way that we do things. It's changed the way that the planning department is looking at the system and the changes necessary for the future. And that contemplates a decarbonized electric grid by 2040. It's a little bit of a shift with this report in that you guys are looking at that 20-year time frame, uh, typically mostly on a 10-year time frame, but now you've felt the need to shift in, in that regard. How is the planning department also changing with a 20-year time frame? What does that mean for you and your folks as you do that work? Yeah, it's a tremendous challenge. Uh, as you note, we've looked at 10 years typically, and now very much driven by these public policies, we need to look ahead 20 years. We need to consider what those changes are going to be, and we need to be prepared for it, not in 10, 15 years. We need to be prepared for it now. And with that preparation, we need to consider what expertise we need. So we've bolstered our forecasting capabilities. We've bolstered our economic planning capabilities. And that's really demonstrated through the system and resource outlook, or as we call it, the outlook. And through this report, we've now considered what resource mixes may happen in the future driven by public policies. And it's taken into consideration physical constraints of New York State, taking into consideration the economics of these different resources. 
but of course, also the policy drivers. How much wind, how much solar, how much storage is likely to be on the system to achieve these public policies? But we also take the further step of considering, well, what has to exist in order to operate the grid? And that's where we highlight dispatchable emission-free resources and the nature of the overall mix of the generation resources within New York State that will be necessary in order to continue to operate the grid reliably as we do today. Yeah, and that, that's the key, right? I mean, trying to reach these mandates under the CLCPA in a reliable fashion. And so let's, before we dig into some of the big takeaways, you're already mentioning what we refer to as DFERS or, or dispatchable emission-free resources, and I'd like to get your take on, on what that is exactly. But you approach this with three different tracks and scenarios. Let's, let's walk through those for folks. And what did those tracks kind of reveal for you? Absolutely. So the overall intent of the report is to give policymakers, give stakeholders a view towards the potential futures. And there's certainly not just one certain future. So because of that, we have to consider a variety of scenarios. So it starts with our base case. With our baseline case, it establishes a baseline against which we can compare different futures and have a better understanding of what the future may look like relative to what we understand about today. From there, we look towards the contract case. And in what we call our contract case, it considers state contracts for renewable energy credits. And that includes some projects that aren't in our baseline yet. So that gives us a very solid understanding of what performance we expect out of the grid in the future relative to the contracts that we expect to come forward and develop projects. Of course, there's a lot of activity there. And there's a lot of activity there. And from there, then it really becomes an open book, an open window as to, well, then what? Because you have all of these aggressive policies. You have this policy of 70% renewables by 2030 and 100% emission-free grid by 2040. What does that look like? No one knows for sure. And so we worked with state agencies, we worked with NISO stakeholders to come up with a variety of different scenarios of what could one future look like, what could another future look like. And we refer to those as our policy cases. Basically, it results in two significantly different resource mixes, two significantly different outcomes for the results of the report. And that provides us perhaps not bookends, but at least two different futures to consider that can then inform policymaking and inform investment decisions going forward. Okay. And, and so there was a very specific look at the resource build out that's going to be necessary in, it, in order to hit these mandates. What did you find there? Uh, we quantified some of those findings with numbers, if you can give a description on, on what that looks like. Yeah. What we see is depending on the future, sometimes it's significant land-based winds, sometimes it's significant solar. Either way, to achieve the renewable targets, it's going to take a lot of renewables, be it wind or solar or other resources. But what we found consistently between the scenarios is the need to balance against that intermittent generation. So you have wind, you have solar, each one of those are dependent on a quote unquote fuel source, be it wind, be it the sun, that is intermittent. It can change through time. It can change on a moment's notice. Well, we need generation on the system to back that up so that we can still continue to reliably serve New York State customers the same way we do today, but to do so in an emission-free way if we are, as a state, to achieve the CLCPA goal of an emission-free grid by 2040. So that's where we identify dispatchable emission-free resources, or DFERS, where those resources will balance against wind, balance against solar fill in the gap when there's not enough storage to make up that difference 
we just need that full resource mix. Now, the two different outcomes we see in the report are a different mix each way, but each mix still has a significant amount of dispatchable emission-free resources, along with a significant amount of renewables. And it's really going to be driven by uh, customer demand and the behavior of that demand, the way in which electric vehicles are charged, the way in which heating is done, what level of energy efficiency we have on the grid. All of that will drive kind of what you need on the system in order to serve that demand. You've talked uh, before about the dispatchable emission-free resources. In this report, we're focusing on that heavily again. And from one aspect, what you and this report keep highlighting is that we need the kind of attributes that provide uh, reliability on the system today, but are provided by fossil fuel resources sometime in the future without that emission characteristic. Bring us up to speed on on what this report focuses on. Absolutely. So we first identified this in our climate change study within the last few years. As you note, now we are highlighting it even further in this outlook. And really the key concept with a dispatchable emission-free resource is the idea of there are attributes that are necessary in order to reliably operate the grid. And it's not just a matter of megawatt accounting. It's a matter of how do you serve demand at any given moment in time? And over a period of time, you may have wind and solar and storage serving demand, but then maybe it runs out. Maybe the wind stops blowing, the sun stops shining, maybe the storage runs out of charge. You need something to back that up and you need it perhaps in a very fast manner. So you need the attribute of ramping, quick ramping. You also need the attribute of long duration generation. You need the attribute of uh, some level of stability to the grid. New York is part of the Eastern Interconnection, which is one large machine, really. And that machine today relies on a spinning mass of generation that's currently fueled by fossil fuel. And that'll have to change in the future. But the fact remains that we still need those attributes. Those attributes could be achieved through a single technology or they could, they could be achieved through a collection of technologies in aggregate. The fact is, though, that we do need those attributes. And that is what this report highlights is the need for dispatchable emission-free resources to get us those attributes. So you just said something important there. It could be a suite of options, a suite of different technologies that have uh, some or all of those characteristics that then end up supporting the reliability factor going forward. Just uh, in your experience as we sit here today, what are some of those technologies that might be in development or might be possible in the future? Because right now, whatever that technology or technologies will be, we don't have those commercially available at scale today. That's exactly right. And you mentioned the key, the commercially available at scale. There may be some technologies commercially available. There may be some technologies in pilot programs. The concern, as we highlight in the outlook, is the scale, just the sheer amount of these that we will likely need in the future in order to achieve this. So the technologies that we're thinking about can include some known technologies. It could include uh, pump storage, for example, which we have some of in New York. But quite frankly, it's unlikely that we have more of that in the future. So we have to think about what other technologies. Nuclear certainly is emission-free from a carbon standpoint. Nuclear that we have on the system today is very large scale, very expensive to build. 
But there are new nuclear technologies, modular nuclear technologies that perhaps maybe is more reasonable to consider in the future. But often what comes up is the idea of hydrogen, mm -hmm. uh, hydrogen fuel generation. It could uh, operate from a mechanical standpoint in the same way that fossil does today. It's just fueled by different fuels, fueled by hydrogen. Part of the concern is the infrastructure around that. What does it take to actually create a grid that runs on hydrogen or something similar to hydrogen like renewable natural gas? Well, that term renewable natural gas really refers to you can manufacture a gas that can fuel this generation and you can manufacture it using renewable energy. Part of the problem though is how do you transport it? How do you manufacture it in one place and deliver it to another? It's going to require utilization of pipelines, utilization of some type of transportation. And there's a lot of questions about how you do that at scale. Mm -hmm. It's at scale that really is the question and really is the challenge. And this is why we highlight it now. We're sitting here in 2022. We're talking about policies and uh, goals that are in 2040 may feel like a long ways off. But when you think about the lead time that it takes to really do the research and development, commercialization of these technologies, and then turn to procurement, engineering, construction. All of that takes a lot of time. And so by the time we get to 2040, you think about how much lead time you need. We need to be thinking about this today. So we keep talking about the policies that are driving all these changes and, and uh, the work that you guys are doing and EVs factor, electric vehicles, and the move to electric vehicles factors very heavily in this report. Tell us about that. And if you can, Talk about the winter peaking uh, forecasts that you guys have changed a bit here. Absolutely. That's another major factor that we see affecting all of these outcomes, all of these futures is how is demand going to change in the future? How is customer behavior going to change in the future? So you mentioned electric vehicles. We all are seeing more and more electric vehicles on the road, more and more electric vehicles coming out from different manufacturers. So the adoption rate of electric vehicles is really increasing and quite rapidly. And you typically see this of any new technology. <laughs> you think about uh, iPhones, you know, or something like that, like how slowly maybe that started out and then suddenly everyone has one in their pocket. Well, it might be the same thing with electric vehicles in the not too distant future. As the grid planner working with the utilities, we really have to think about what that adoption rate is. And our forecasters are working very closely with all of the utility forecasters to understand that, monitoring the adoption rate of charging stations, the installation rate of charging stations, both from interstate highway level, where you go to a rest stop and you see charging stations, all the way down to the residential level. The rate at which these charging stations are installed are an indication of how many of these cars are on the road, how, what the demand is going to be. All of that is going to drive performance of the grid, and today's grid may not be able to handle it, so it's going to require some investment. Now, when we think about the seasons and we think about electrification as a whole, EVs will also impact that. You think about, well, what hours of the day are likely to be impacted by electric vehicles? Most likely nighttime. Not in all cases, but at, for the most part, nighttime is when it's going to be impacted. Customers are getting home from work or, or their commute, they're plugging in their vehicles, then exactly. they're turning their ovens on to make dinner, exactly. they're turning their lights on in the winter. You have greater demand in a winter than you anticipate. And you're touching on exactly the whole point about winter is it's not only about the electric vehicles, it's also about the electrification of all things. And so when we look to a winter time, well, when are you likely to have more heating? More heating is going to be at nighttime when everyone's home. And you're going to have heating during the daytime as well, obviously. 
But at nighttime, when you combine heating from electrification and uh, charging electric vehicles, and you combine all of that, it leads to a shifting peak, a different peak hour of the day, a different peak season, a different performance of the grid. And all of that combined leads to, in the future, we're going to be a winter peaking system. So what does that mean? Today, we are a summer peaking system. In the future, we're a winter peaking system. And it really will drive a number of different considerations as we plan the grid. So for folks that may have a, a more vague idea of what electrification means, because you're focused on that now, and I know that that factors heavily as well into the report and a lot of the work that this, the planning department's doing going forward, um, describe the, the universe of electrification going forward. Yeah, electrification can mean all kinds of things. And really what it's driving towards is turning everything we do into being sourced from electricity. So we've talked about transportation, electric vehicles, heating, heating of all buildings, both homes and businesses. That's a major shift. Today, our heating primarily comes from natural gas, oil, those types of sources. In the future, the term electrification refers to shifting that towards being sourced from electricity. And really, the idea is that it's more efficient to do that on a grand scale. But the idea of efficiency also gets to, well, how do you do that the most efficiently? And you think about home efficiency, you think about building efficiency, and there's energy efficiency tied to electrification. It's not just about shifting the source from some fossil fuel to electricity. It's about making sure that you're doing so in the most efficient way to make the overall grid and the overall economy as energy efficient as possible. And of course, that leads to the question of what infrastructure investments are necessary to accommodate that wholesale shift in consumer behavior, et cetera. Walk us through what you're saying in this report is it's going to be necessary to get the transmission system ready for this change. And Kevin, you talk about transmission. That really is our focus. There's going to be a whole other level of investment necessary on the distribution level. And that really, we look to the utilities to uh, focus on that and to make those investments and to make those decisions. Our focus at the NISO is the quote-unquote bulk level of the electric grid, the transmission level of the electric grid. So this report, the System Resource Outlook, focuses on what are our constraints going to be in the future? So really the whole idea, look at the resource mix in the future. How does that resource mix relate to customer demand in the future? Where are those resources going to be within New York State relative to customer demand? And the answer every time, no matter what scenario we look at, they're not going to be in the same place. So in order to get the energy from where it's produced to where it's consumed, it requires wire. It requires transmission. We are going to need more transmission on the system. We're already working on that today through our public policy projects in Western New York and the projects referred to as AC transmission going through the Mohawk Valley and lower Hudson Valley. Those already will make a significant difference in the future. And this report proves that. But additional transmission will be necessary. We're currently working on evaluating proposals for Long Island and the consideration of transmission in the Long Island area to better accommodate offshore wind. More transmission will be needed, though, upstate. A lot of land-based wind, a lot of solar will be installed throughout upstate New York. And we have a very old transmission grid that was never designed to integrate these resources. A lot of transmission investment is going to be needed, and we identify that through what we've termed renewable generation pockets. And 
through those pockets, we say here in this area of the state or that area of the state, you need transmission investment in order to be able to deliver that renewable energy in the most efficient way possible. Build all these renewables, no way to get the power to where it's necessary. That would be the problem. That, That exactly would be the problem. If you built all these renewables without building the transmission, you may have them installed, but they'll never be able to deliver to customers. Our near-term concerns in reliability really are focused on the New York City area, but also as we look ahead 10 years, it starts to become a statewide issue. Within the New York City area, we see driven by uh, uh, state policies relating to uh, emissions from older power plants. That's driving power plants off. There are a number of plants that are going to have to deactivate in 2023 and another wave of plants in 2025. As that occurs, those plants today we're relying on for the reliability of the New York City area. We're going to have to lean on the transmission that serves the New York City area much more heavily in the future in order to keep the lights on in New York City. We are projecting a very thin reliability margin in the New York City area going up through around the 2025 timeframe. When we talk about thinning margins, really what it means is lesser tools in the toolbox for our operators. And the smaller that margin gets, the fewer options they have, meaning they may have to uh, take certain emergency operating procedures when faced with a heat wave, when faced with higher demand than normal. Well, they may have to take actions that today they don't otherwise have to take. And as New Yorkers, we're going to have to be prepared for uh, the implications of that. Now, as a planner, really what we're working towards is identifying those thin margins, identifying what we can do about it, identifying when we need more resources, more transmission, so that we can keep those tools in the toolbox for the operators. Is it, uh, is it smart when we talk about these issues to point to some of the... Uh events we've seen in other states to say, that's exactly what we're trying to guard against in the work that you're doing. Precisely. We see what Texas has gone through and uh, in other events in California, we see the challenges that they face. And, uh, you know, we all talk across the industry and learn from each other. And we, you know, we look at those types of extreme events, you know, some of that could happen here. Some of it, uh, I think we're much more poised for, but, you know, we're taking into consideration summer issues, taking into consideration winter issues. So in the summer, we have to think about the weather's getting hotter. The client, we, our climate change report showed that the temperature is increasing and we have to be prepared for that, not only in terms of customer demand and how that will increase because of air conditioners, but also the performance of the generation fleet. And the performance of the generation fleet will decrease over time as the temperature increases. Well, on the flip side of that, in the winter... You could have cold snaps. You could have a reduction in generation availability simply because of heating sources like gas being used for heating rather than fueling electric generation. You could have failure of generation because of the cold weather. We're much more positioned in New York to handle that than Texas is, for example. But nevertheless, it's a concern. And we have to be thinking about all of those aspects, both in summer and winter. And of course, you mentioned the climate change study. And uh, just uh, <laughs> we sit here at the end of August. It's in the morning and it's already 82 degrees outside and humidity 75%. And we had at least two weeks of uh, back-to-back days with you know temperatures in the 90s. So. That's right. And we're already seeing those challenges. The operators uh, remind me every day of the challenges that they're facing. And it's not even 2023 or 2025 yet. 
Um, well, so like the climate change study, which um, has seen a couple of iterations and, and will continue that you'll, your group will continue that work. The outlook will also continue. That work will also continue. Talk about what you plan for for this uh, project going forward. Absolutely. Uh, planning never stops. Uh, so we just have milestones occasionally. Uh, so this milestone is the system and resource outlook uh, looking at years 2021 through 2040. We're just going to keep on doing it over and over again on roughly a two-year cycle. So really, we in planning here at the New York ISO have three marquee reports. The reliability needs assessment identifies reliability needs over the next 10 years. That's followed by the comprehensive reliability plan that lays out the plan to address any of those reliability needs over that same 10-year horizon. And then we have this system and resource outlook that really looks out beyond, looks to 20 years and gives that view of, well, what's coming at us and what do we need to be mindful of? All of those reports feed into each other and all of them operate on a staggered two-year cycle. So Every few months, you'll see us coming out with one of these marquee reports. Okay. Well, we'll have you back to talk about the RNA later in the year. Know how busy you and your group are. You just detailed that for us. Uh, so we appreciate you spending the time today. Thanks again, Zach. Appreciate it. Happy to do it. Always. Thanks again, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.